Happy Sabbath, church. It's good to be with you today and share the word of the Lord. You know, um, I thought about dressing down a little bit today, no. but my, I, had a, I had a meeting with my boss this week, and we were having a nice conversation, and, um, and part of the conversation, he said, you know, I still have a hard time when pastors are dressing down now, nowadays, to preach well there are some places where it is acceptable and it is actually even expected there are some places where that happens and I, I look at it from the perspective of the of the apostle Paul who said you know with Jews you sometimes you got to be a Jew and then with Gentiles sometimes you got to be a Gentile but today as I was thinking about coming Today, um, I, I said, let me honor my, let me honor God first and then honor my, my boss, who believes that when you stand behind the pulpit, you got to look the part. Amen. Not only deliver the message, but also look the part. So here I am standing in front of you today. Let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open the word, please speak to us. Amen. So today, I'm, we're going to talk about a story that, um, you know, as a kid, I heard it a lot. We all are familiar with the story of Jonah and the whale. Mm-hmm. You know, we, are all, we all have heard about Jonah and uh, some, some interesting things about this. And I, I was, this week I was thinking about this a lot. I don't know why. Maybe the Lord wanted to speak t- to me and, 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 you know, as a secondary result of speaking to me, the Lord wanted to speak to all of us today. But I was thinking about Jonah today, and there are a lot of interesting lessons that I found out as I was preparing to share the word with you today. A lot of interesting lessons. First of all, when, as we open the Bible, let's go to the book of Jonah. It's a small one, it's considered one of the uh, lesser prophets or the minor prophets, whatever. Yes, reality, it's, they're called lesser or minor prophets because they're small books, very short. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament. Um, let's, let's, place, let's place the book historically. A little bit. Um, let me let me get this. I don't I don't think I need to take the microphone out. You can hear me, right? Okay. You can hear me. I need the microphone. I need the microphone. All right. I'll take yeah. the microphone. Um, let's place it historically. We are in the century, either about the ninth, between the ninth and the eighth century before Christ, before before our era. The Assyrian people are the ones that are kind of attempting to conquer the world. What you find interesting is if you go to Daniel chapter 2 and you remember the image of Daniel chapter 2, remember that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had? You remember that there was nothing before the Babylonians. There was no worldwide kingdom 
before the Babylonians. Remember that? Because the head of that image that Nebuchadnezzar saw was gold. And what, did the, what does that, re, uh, that mean? That Babylonian government. But before the Babylonians, there were the Assyrians. And these guys were wicked. They were brutal. I mean, listen, these guys skinned people alive. And let me, let me share with you a story from the Bible. You may remember this. I was sharing this with my wife this morning. You may remember this. You remember that little girl doesn't have a name. She doesn't have a name, but she was taken captive by the Assyrians. And she was a servant in the house of the captain. Remember the name of that captain? Naaman. Very well. Very well. This is interesting. That girl was very lucky. And I'm, I'm, saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that she was lucky in the sense of the world. I'm saying she was lucky in the sense that God kept her life for a purpose. You know why I was reading this? I was reading that the Assyrians took children captive, and on the way back home, they ate them. Exactly. That's horrible. They were cannibals. They were cannibals. And, 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 and they were really, really, listen, they were the, the first ones that we have record of that took people and fried them alive. These were the Assyrians. And the capital of Syria was Nineveh. Shortly before this happened, shortly before this happened, the, the, the Jonah story happened, shortly before the Assyrians came. Do you remember? Uh, let me give you a little bit more to understand this thing. Do you remember after, uh, after Solomon, there was a division in the people of God? The northern kingdom and the kingdom of Judah. Remember? Now, the northern kingdom were, was the very first kingdom that was conquered by the Assyrians. And they were conquered by the Assyrians, and they were literally invaded by the Assyrians, and the Assyrians started living in the area. And so, this is interesting. I'm sure you didn't know this one. But the result of the Assyrians joining and marrying with the Israelites was an interesting people that was very much hated by the Judah, by the Judeans. You know who they are? The Samaritans. The Samaritans were the result of the Assyrians joining with the Israelites. That is one of the reasons why the people of Jerusalem hated the Samaritans so much because they were impure. Are you with me? So, the biggest city in that time, at the time when Jonah hears the voice of God and says, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh and preach. Let them know that they will be destroyed. 
And the word destroyed is important, and you will find out why in a minute. But what happens with Jonah? I'm, I'm not going to go to the Bible because we've all, we've all heard the story. I'm not going to go there. Lord says you got to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is where Iraq is nowadays. And then Jonah goes to Joppa and hops on a boat. And he's going to Tarshish. And Tarshish is, right now, the, the best way to describe it is at the northernmost tip of Spain. So if you can, in your, in your imagination, make a, a little map, you can realize that Jonah is going exactly in the opposite direction. Two things I get out of this one. First, how many times we have desired to hear the voice of God speaking to us? There are so many times when I would like to know what God is thinking. I have a friend who's, have, who's going through a very difficult time. And a couple of Sundays ago, I mean, his wife has been in the hospital six times in the last month. And she's just 26 years old. And she has this thing, she has this thing that nobody, say, nobody knows how to explain or how to treat. She has what they are diagnosing as stomach epilepsy. There you go. Neither have I. <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's, it's the same concept of epilepsy, but it doesn't happen in your brain. It happens in your stomach. It's spasms and your stomach, and, and, and when she has those, and she, she has terrible pains, and she uh, spends four or five days in the hospital vomiting everything, absolutely everything, even the water. So, you know, and he was writing to me, and he said in his text, and listen, my friend is a pastor, and he said in his text, it seems like God took a vacation and forgot about us. Can you blame him, though? Since the beginning of this year, they have spent, since the beginning of 2019, they have spent 72 days in the hospital. Think about it. That's a lot of time in the hospital. So at times you would like to hear the voice of God, but then voice, God speaks, and then what God says you don't like. That's what happened to Jonah, right? God speaks to Jonah and says, go to Nineveh and preach to them that they will be destroyed. And he's like, um, you know what, God? I, you know, I, I really love being your prophet. That's awesome. Thank you so much for choosing me. I really love being your mouthpiece. But this is a message I don't want to share. Why is, it so, why is it too scary? He's having to go to the place where they fry people alive. He's having to go to the place where they skin people alive and they eat the children. Well, then I, I guess they cooked them. I would say they cooked them. 
But do you see? God is sending him to a place where, let's face it, none of us would like to go there. None of us would like to go there. And so Jonah hops on a boat going in the exact opposite direction. There's another lesson that I find in this experience. And the other lesson that I find in this experience is what we human beings call control is just an illusion. You know how I know that in this story? Because Jonah hopped on that boat on the way to the southernmost tip of Spain, right? And he was running away from what God had called him to do. And he ended up doing what God had called him to do, smelling like vomit. Are you with me? Interesting facts that I find in the story. He gets on the boat and the boat starts. And the Bible says that, you know, immediately there arose a big storm. Same concept that you can find in Mark chapter 5. Remember the story of Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee? And this huge storm? Matthew or Mark, they say that there were big waves. It's the same, same concept. Immediately there arose a big storm, and you know, finally what happened? They all started asking, okay, what happened? What, what, what is happening? Is the, go the gods against us and all that and Jonah stands up and says hey guys I know what's going on yeah they cast lots and everything uh-huh but the reality is that that's an interesting concept because they cast lots and when they cast lots it means literally that they ran a lottery there trying to find out who was to blame for what was happening right uh -huh. They put their trust in gambling at the time. It's okay. The, the interesting thing is that God even intervened into the lottery, into the lottery and point out, pointed out to Jonah. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. Now, Jonah finds himself found. You know what I'm talking about when I say you find yourself found? When you're trying to hide something? But... It still happens. It's still found. So he finds himself found, and then he steps up and says, I know what's going on. Throw me in the water. Now, interestingly enough, some people think that, you know, some Bible commentators believe that Jonah wanted them to throw him into the water just to placate God. Okay? I'd like to suggest to you today that Jonah is asking them to throw him into the water because he'd rather die than do what God wants to him, him to do. Instead of asking them to turn around the boat, yeah. turn around the boat. Yeah. He knew he was pretty far, so he's not going to swim all that. I would like to suggest to you that he would rather die than obey God, God's command. 
wow. And it makes me think, however many times, we would rather die than obey what God has asked us to do. Huh? So he gets thrown into the water, and there in comes the whale. By the way, there is no, there is no evidence in the Bible that it was a whale. There is no evidence. As a matter of fact, if you read the Bible, it always, it always talks about a big fish. The reality is, now I'm going to get a little technical with you guys, if I may. The reality is that the word utilized in Hebrew, in the Hebrew original, doesn't even mean a fish. It means a monster, monster of the sea. That tra- the, the, the better translation would have been a beast or a monster of the sea. And then the other thing is that we miss this little part that says that right before they sent, they throw Jonah overboard, God had commanded a beast of the sea to go and swallow. We don't know what kind of animal it is. We don't know what kind of fish or whatever. We just know there was an, it was an animal big enough to swallow Jonah. By the way, the, the, one of the reasons why there is a huge fight among theologians about the validity of the book of Jonah is that part of it. Because they tend to believe that everything that is said is good, nice, but nobody can believe that there is actually an animal that can swallow a human being. And that nobody can believe that there's an animal who can swallow a human being and that that human being staying inside a stomach with all we know that there is inside of a human, a, a being stomach, stay alive. You know, the acids and all the things that are in there. Now, this, this week, another thing that kept coming to my mind is something I heard in a sermon that kept creeping up in my mind and I thought it's it was like a this this song you can't get off your head your head you the song that comes to your mind and you can't get it off so the same thing happened to me this week I heard someone say that when we add God's amazing love to anything the result is always difficult different let me give you an example a virgin without God's amazing love, who, a virgin who gets pregnant without God's amazing love is an adulteress. But a virgin who gets pregnant with God's amazing love is Christ incarnate. See what I'm saying? A man that used to be, the Bible says, he breath, thre- he, he breath threats against the church. Right? Without God's amazing love, it's just a persecutor of Christians. But a man who used to breathe threats against the church, with God's amazing love, becomes the Apostle Paul. So a sinner without God's amazing love is just a sinner. 
But a sinner with God's amazing love is forgiven. Are you with me? So a big fish without God's amazing love is just a fish. But a big fish with God's amazing love is an instrument to save the life of God's prophet. I don't need to explain it. There can't, there can't be any science who can explain any of that. Because can science explain the transformation in the life of Paul? Can science explain what happened with Mary? Can science explains the, explain the transformation in the life of a sinner? The only thing that can explain the transformation is God's amazing love. Are you with me? So, we go, you know, they throw Jonah in the water. The big animal, whatever animal it is, whatever kind of animal, whatever beast of the sea it is, swallows Jonah and then throws him up. When God says that needs to happen, and if you ever want to read something interesting, read the, the prayer that Jonah prayer, prays while he's inside that fish. But I'm not going to take too much time on that because I've taken too much time introducing everything. Now, after that, Bible says God commanded the fish to go and throw him up in a shore, in shore. Interestingly enough, if you see the map, there is no shore close to Nineveh. There is no shore close to Nineveh. Because Nineveh is in the middle of the, of the desert, if you will. If the, so he was thrown up in the, in, probably in the same place where he started the journey. The interesting thing is that I think my Sabbath school teacher got it wrong and she taught it to me wrong. Because I was convinced that Jonah, immediately after he was vomited by the fish, he just went out and preached. But that is not the case. Chapter 2 in Jonah finishes, and there seems to be a hiatus of, hiatus of time between one and the other. Because when chapter 3 comes around, it starts with the statement, as Stephen was reading it, that God once again spoke to Jonah. And then God once again spoke to Jonah and said, Now I need you to go to Nineveh and tell them that they will be destroyed. Interestingly enough, the word destroyed, as it is right there in the book of Jonah, appears only one other time in the, in the Old Testament. Just one other time. Care to guess when? Anybody has a guess where and when does that appear? That word destroy, the same Hebrew word that speaks about destroy. The flood, no. Sodom and Gomorrah. When the angels of the Lord come to Lot and tell them that Sodom and Gomorrah will be destroyed. Interestingly enough, look, think about it. Sodom and Gomorrah 
was the most wicked city in Genesis. Nineveh was the most wicked city during the time of Jonah. Right? And God says, go over there and preach to them. And here's the title of my sermon, Reluctant Obedience. Because here's what Jonah does. Something interesting happens, and I think we got to get some lessons out of this. Number one, one thing he does is that he goes to Nineveh. And the Bible tells us a little bit of information. It tells us that it took three days to go across the city. Actually, the Hebrew original gives the idea that it's not to go across the city from one end to the other. Like if I started here and, and walked all the way Lake, uh, Lake View and, all, and got all the way to the end of Crestline. No, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It meant that it took about three days to walk all the city, the entire city. That's number one. And the second idea about this is that he goes there and then he preaches the, mo the shortest sermon ever. In Hebrew, there is actually three words in that sermon. Three words. 40 days. Actually, he just says the word 40. He doesn't say days, months, or years, or whatever. He just says 40. Nineveh, destroy. And he is walking around the city, and he's just saying, 40, Nineveh, destroy. And here's the lesson that I, I find most interesting about all this. Although he was a reluctant prophet, he was reluctant to preach the message that God had given him. There's something interesting that you find hidden in that Bible text that we just read as our scripture reading. God says to him, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them the message that I am giving you. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. Do you see it there? Chapter 3. I'm reading from the New, New King James Version. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And preach to them the message that I tell you. Preach to them the message that I tell you. It's actually no. It's the same message. What is interesting is that we don't see the message that God gave Mo, uh, uh, Jonah. Do you see it there? Because verse, verse 3 tells me that so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey, journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city in the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, 
Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Translators are playing a little bit here because they're adding information. That wasn't in what he said. Do anybody, does, do anybody see, does any, thank you very much, does anybody see the message from God to Jonah? Here's the interesting thing about all this. And as the story unravels, we get some more lessons that are very relevant to us today. Number one, he just goes around, preaches, uh, screams out three words, 40, Nineveh, destruction. And those three words start changing everybody in town. And the word, of the, uh, the word of God tells me that the message got all the way to the king. And the king called up on everybody. And they started to be, and they started to experience revival in the city of Nineveh. And the king, the Bible says, that he sat on ashes. Which was an expression of repentance. But please, please, church, help me understand. Where did he get that repentance from? But how did he get connected with his conscience then? The message was, the message was 40, Nineveh, destroy. I'd like to suggest to you today that the message wasn't what made the king and the people of Nineveh change. What made the people of Nineveh change was an experience of the love of God. A recognition that they were being forewarned of something. What is interesting is that had it been for the messenger, had the messenger be the, in the most important part of the message, do you think they would have gotten it? Look what the story tells me. Jonah finishes his round of sermons. And then he goes outside the city and sits underneath a place. We don't know where it is because it will be, he didn't have a shade. The shade grew on him later on. So he sits there and he is sitting like most Christians nowadays who are thinking, oh man, I would love to see the fire and brimstone come and destroy the people I hate. He's sitting and waiting for the judgment. The Bible says he's waiting for the judgment of God. And when God chooses to forgive Nineveh, he gets angry at God. And he fights with God and he says, how could you do this to me? How could you do this to me, man? I've been, it sounds very much like the older son in the story of the prodigal son. I've always been around. I've been a good boy. 
I've never done anything to wrong you, God. Father, I've never done anything. I just want to sit over here and watch the movie unfold. I just, I mean, I get it, man. I also watch some of those movies in TV. I also watch some of that, and I also want, at the end, I want to see the bad person. I want to see them pay for all they've done. Like Sodom and Gomorrah. Like Sodom and Gomorrah. Here, you just made my point. You just made my point. Think, think about it. He's thinking that this word has never been used except when? Sodom and Gomorrah. And he knows the story of how fire and brimstone come, came from heaven and destroyed, obliterated the city. To the point where right now in that place where they have that city, there is just what is called a dead sea. And it's called a dead sea because there ain't no life in that sea. In that sea. Obliterated. And he is just waiting for the show to start. And because the show doesn't start, he gets angry with God and he fights with God because he wants to see them pay. I mean, he, I, think, I think he can relate to the fact, I, I think he can relate to the fact that he maybe thought about some children that he knew that were eaten, that were eaten by some, some of them Assyrians. Some families of him, maybe, some people that he really loved that were, that were taken captive and they were killed. So, can you blame the guy from wanting fire from heaven to come and destroy them? You can't. Because we are the same sometimes. Because we want to see, we want to see the wicked pay for what they have done. But there is one little tiny little thing, one little tiny little thing, and I'm, I know I'm, good. I'm not speaking correctly here, but I want to say it that way. There's one little tiny little thing that Jonah didn't take into account. The grace of God. The love of God. That surpasses all understanding. Now I can go back to that statement I shared with you from the beginning. In the beginning, you know, a virgin without the love of God is just a virgin. But a virgin with the love of God is the mother of Jesus. A city without the love of God is just a mess. But a city with the love of God is a place of salvation. You see the difference here? Now let's bring this, let's, let's bring this plane down and touch down. Let's finish this. Pastor Ivan, why, why do we need to think about this? Number one. We need to think about this because we are all, we have all been called to be missionaries, to be Jonas. And we tend to run the other direction 
when God calls us because we don't like what God says. Also, sometimes we do what God wants us to do, but we do it unwillingly or we do it reluctantly. What is interesting is what I find in the history of Jonah in the Bible is that it doesn't matter if I do it willingly and if I prepare myself very well or if I just shout out three words. God will change the hearts of those he wants to change. God will change the hearts of those he needs to change. God will change the hearts of everyone in order to save them. Why? Because the Bible I read tells me that he is patient waiting for a few to repent. What does that mean, all? Who does that include? Uh, it includes me first. <laughs> because without that, I'm not going anywhere. That is the reality. And the one thing that transforms everything in this world, the one thing that transforms those hearts that are sitting under a tree, just trying to watch the fire and brimstone come from heaven, is the love of God. The love of God. We just thought maybe for closing today with my family, we're going to sing together. And you, you may join us if you want to, if you know the song. But um, we are going to sing about that love. I love the way, I love the way it's put on that hymn. Could we with ink the ocean feel? Remember that song? And were the skies of parchments to write the love of God? What does it say? What does it say? We'll, we'll drain the oceans dry. Think about it. Ocean dry. I've had the chance to dip my toe in five of the oceans of the world now. And this hymn says that it will drain the oceans dry. What would be of the world without, that ocean, without the oceans? So, let's talk about that love. Let's sing about that love.
definitely that love. Thank you. It is definitely that, definitely that love that makes it, makes it worth it. Definitely. It is a love that surpasses all understanding. And remember, whatever you bring without the love of God, it's just usual stuff. But whatever you bring with the love of God spells a miracle, always. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love. Love that is so astounding, so awesome, that <laughs> even when we, when we get to heaven, we will spend eternity trying to understand it. So no matter how much we try here on earth, we can only but scratch the surface. Thank you so much because you are still in the business of saving people. That you saved a city like Nineveh <laughs> escapes all my understanding, but also gives me hope that you can save me. So today I just rest assured knowing that your only job, your only desire is to save this world, to save us. Even through reluctant obedience, you honor yourself and you bring healing. So as we leave today, remind us this week that in you there is hope and in you there is salvation. And in you alone, we can enter that promise. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.